Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 260th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. And you can find me on Twitter at Hawk Blogger. We are here for a, I think, triumphant celebratory post-draft episode of Real Hawk Talk. There is so much to go through, and I could not be happier than to be joined by a wonderful crew, uh, Dana O'Gorman, at Dana OG on Twitter, who was not only in Kansas City around the draft but she was at the draft and excited to have you here dana how are you thanks good recovering it was busy in kansas city this weekend not just at the draft or back in the press conferences like the city was really busy it was a lot of fun and i had house guests the archer football girls came out and we did a couple live podcasts from here and just had a great time so it was it was a lot of fun well, we will have a couple of questions for you about that experience. Uh, before we get to those, let's bring in Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons, who was also working the draft uh, during the draft. And so, you know, folks, we all do this for fun and for charity and all those good things. But if anyone has any questions about the quality of the folks on this show, go no further than Dana O'Gorman at the draft with a press pass and Jeff Simmons being asked to work the draft and being paid to do so. So like we've got very, 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 very qualified folks that we're very lucky to have on the show. Jeff, dude, it's good to, good to see you again. Uh, thanks, man. It's still, we spent so much time like waiting for that draft and it comes so fast. And now it's like, I don't know what to do with my time. Like <laughs> I feel like an emptiness. It's weird. Yeah. I, I actually was looking at our podcast frequency last year and uh it, it really kind of tanks after after april we kind of sputter a little bit into may and then like june is pretty dead uh for our pod crew we'll see how it goes this year there's there might be more reason to talk than there has in past years um let's start here i i mean i i, I there's so many places i, I want to spend some time dana i'm sure a lot of people would love to know what is it like to be at the draft so this was the second year I was lucky enough to get a, a pass for the draft. I went to Vegas last year, which was quite an experience and very different than Kansas City. So I, I think that each city has its own kind of flavor a little bit. Um, but it's 
it's really chaotic depending on how many players are actually there. Um, and so like in Vegas last year, we would have probably 20, 30 minutes between players um, in between interviews because we were lucky enough to get to interview them after their draft, after they go through their team conversations, and then they have to go to SiriusXM, and then they have to go to YouTube, and then they get to come to us. But um, we would have some space in between where we could, you know, put out content and that sort of thing. Um, and this year, there were so many first-round draft participants there that it was like lined them up out the door, like boom, 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 boom. And so I was cranking out those videos as, as fast as I could. But it's it's really nice because you get to put a little bit of a personality with these kids' names, you know? The day before the draft, they do a big um, Play 60 event, and they did it at Central High School here in Kansas City this year. And so we got to go out, and that's actually when we got to talk to them the most instead of just the random questions. And, you know, you get to spend a few extra minutes with each one of the the players. And um, that's always a lot of fun. So it does change from all the stats and everything that we look at, you know, the film before the draft, it kind of puts a little bit of a personality with the player, which to me as a fan, I really enjoy. It's cool. It's yeah. cool. I definitely thought about the experience at times, whether I wanted to do it. And uh, I'm sure other people have had the same thoughts. Um, we are going to talk about some of the free agent changes that have happened signings that have happened but i'd like to start with the draft and then we'll come back to that um and uh we have a fair number of patron questions that we're going to get to as well so we will try to move briskly but there's a lot to cover um jeff having had a few days now to absorb reflect look at the team compare that to how your expectations were going in how are you feeling about the Seahawks draft? Mine have stayed relatively similar. I, I absolutely loved what they did on day one. Um, I feel a little hurt just seeing like how close the Seahawks were to getting Will Anderson. If they came out with Will Anderson and Smith and Jigba, my two favorite players in the draft, I don't know if I would have been able to handle that. So that part's been kind of hurting a bit, but like I watched your guys' show. I, I saw you guys initially react to Witherspoon and he was a guy I really liked, and it was kind of cool to see. I put out a tweet that night that Detroit really, really wanted him, and that's why they traded out the next pick. And then to see Albert Breer came out and had the whole story that they actually targeted him for months. So all these people that were like, well, Seattle should have traded down if they wanted Witherspoon, there was no chance. You're, you're losing him. And so I just love the first round. I'm still in the same spot with day two. I felt a little better because of how much I like day three. And Dan, I don't know if you saw it. me and Brian were on for three hours on Saturday. Almost four. Almost four. And I can't believe you guys did it. I mean, it was so impressive, right? And I, A, I wasn't bored. And B, <laughs> um, I didn't have to Google one pick of theirs, which to me is like, and to me, it was just such a central theme. They had to come out of this draft with options to build the offensive line. And I saw that as positions of strength and I was really bummed out by day two because of that at first, but them getting potential center and, and Anthony Bradford at guard, who I really, really like, it made me feel a lot better about some of the picks they made, just some of the players they didn't pick in day two, because you know how much I like John Michael Schmitz throughout the process. And there was that report from Tony Pauline that like, if he made it to 37, like the Seahawks were going to have like a party in their draft room, and then they don't take him at 52. So I was really bummed by that whole thing. But I absolutely love day one, love day three. 
overall, I really, really like the class. I'm pretty close. I, I give them a really, really tight grade. Not much has changed since then. Mind. That was my take Saturday. Love it. And I want to thank Megan uh, from Australia, who's been listening and uh, donated in Super Chat. We've got a lot of really wonderfully generous folks that follow the show and have contributed. And and as folks know, we gave our, our donation to charity to John and Tracy Schneider before the draft. Uh, now we're up to over $260,000 that we've donated to charity over the years. So can't do it without your support. Really appreciate it. If you haven't gone to patreon.com slash hawkblogger, sign up. Now is the time to do it. The conversation is hopping there about every player, about every pick, about every podcast you should listen to, about every tweet that you missed. It's it's a really great place to be. It's a really good, supportive, and positive community. So um, highly, highly recommend it. And I'm pretty sure there is a Kraken channel. There is a Mariners channel, which is a little bit more depressed than the Mar Kraken channel at the moment, but highly recommend it. So thank you, Megan, for Super Chat. And she is correct. We did almost 18 hours. Oh, sorry. No, we did uh, almost 12 hours of of podcasting during the draft. And I couldn't even tell you how many hours we did ahead of that. So a lot. <laughs> uh, Dana, I haven't really gotten your grade, your feel for the draft. We talked a few times during the draft, but where are you? Tell me about your overall grade and tell me like your thing that you're most excited about. Well, I think when I popped on during the first night, I admitted that not taking Carter at five was a bit of a gut punch for me. And I was, I, I was taking a minute to get over it that I, I didn't dislike Witherspoon. I thought he's such a Pete Carroll pick, right? Like it made total sense. But at the same time, I was like, oh, now I'm okay with it. And uh, I mean, unfortunately the, Eagles had a rock star draft. Let's make sure we, everyone knows that, but I, I like this draft. I love the first two picks. I think that they fit this system really well. And when you get the number one player at their position, you know, back to back that, you know, that's just fantastic. Um, I wasn't nearly as upset about the running back in the second round as you guys were, <laughs> but that's because I like running backs and I like really for Nathan to get really upset about things. That makes me laugh. And so that was really fun about that. Uh -huh. But I liked this draft. I liked the center that they picked. I know that wasn't John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt that you wanted, but it's still a really good center. Um, and I think I have a little bit differing, differing thought on Hall than you guys do. I'm really excited about that pick. I think that he is going to be a fantastic leader. Uh, that's all you hear anyone talking about when it comes to him, which gives me a little bit of a Bobby Wagner leadership feel to him. And so that made me real happy. So I'm, I'm thrilled with this. I think that they really addressed the positions that need that they needed. Um, I think that they got their blue chippers that they wanted. Um, and then I think that they paid attention to where at least they felt they needed, you know, some, some of this depth and especially on day three, I think they really went after that. Yeah. I think that that makes sense. And I mean, for the record, even live when it came out, I was doing that one solo for day two. It was rough doing day two solo, I got to say, because it was not my favorite day. And I, I admitted I like Zach Charbonnet, so it was hard for me to be bummed about the pick. It wasn't who I wanted, that like the position I wanted them to go for, but I really like that kid, and I, I think he is the ideal complement for, for K-9. Jeff and I talked about it. I linked to a, a show we did early March where we did a mock draft, and we walked out of there with Zach Charbonnet and um, – Jeff was going on about how he'd be a great compliment, a great fit for what they're doing. 
Uh, we actually talked about Mike Morris at that point. And like, there was, it, it is not just to pat ourselves in the back, but we just spent a lot of time on a lot of these players and it was kind of cool to see some of those names pop up and to, to know that the Seahawks are, you know, we're thinking along with them. Uh, there's a few things that I think are important to call out. I'm going to, by the way, I will share a little bit more about my takes about this draft and they're a little different than most people's. And I think hopefully that's a good thing. Um, I'm sure not everyone will agree and that's hopefully a good thing, but before we get to that, I think that there's some things that should be set straight. And I think I've seen a lot of misinformation going around. Um, some of it is about what happened at the fifth pick. And let's start with the Jalen Carter piece. There has been confirmation from essentially from John Schneider, from Pete Carroll, from reporters that, you know, cover the team. And we kind of knew this, but it's clear they are looking for a specific type of person, not just a specific type of player. That is a thing. Pete Carroll talked about, I specifically want to be drafting guys that I want to play ball. Like if I'm going to the park, they're a guy I want on my team. That's how he put it. And so anyone that has any questions about that, I think that is the reason Jalen Carter is not a Seahawk. So that's one. Two, um, there's actually some, this is not as well sourced, but I think it's worth putting out there. He, Jalen Carter was not as well graded as a player by the Seahawks as all of us would have assumed. So I think that's something that's been underreported, but is reasonably well sourced um, based on my conversations. Three, there has been a lot of dust around Anthony Richardson. And th there's been a lot of comments out there. There's been literally one sourced report one and it's from brady henderson who for folks that don't follow brady brady's a guy if you listen to him he was on a show with salk a while, i mean it was no it was brock when salk was out and he talked about how he did the russell wilson story and the amount of validation the amount of double sourcing the amount of work he did to decide every single quote every single part of that story that went in this guy doesn't put out bullshit and he doesn't certainly doesn't put put it out there as definitive. He said definitively by source that the Seahawks other player that they wouldn't trade back for was Will Anderson, not Anthony Richardson. Now, people have heard Pete Carroll say, oh, yeah, we liked Anthony Richardson. He's pretty good. And we've heard John Schneider talk about, yeah, like Anthony is great. That doesn't mean that they wouldn't have traded back. And in fact, the information generally is that the Seahawks would not have taken Anthony Richardson at that pick. So I think that there's a lot of misinformation out there. There is no sourced report other than from Brady that confirms that Anthony Richardson was not the person that it would stick for. So I just think people should be aware because I put the, I, I've, I've been on that. I've been paying attention. That's pretty key. And then there's one other thing that I think people have misreported, including in the papers, which was, John Schneider's made a statement in the post-draft press conference on day three. Someone asked him about quarterback and he said, well, you know, three guys got taken before us. So, you know, we didn't take somebody. And people have reported that as being, he was talking about the first five picks when three quarterbacks, he was not talking about the first five picks. He was talking about the draft rounds that just happened that day, which was the fifth round 
when I'll go back and make sure I have the right names because I don't remember all the quarterbacks. I remember one of them. Clayton Toon, Dorian Thompson Robinson, and Sean Clifford. They went in the fifth round ahead of the Seahawks. One of those three very likely was someone the Seahawks were interested in. I happen to think it was DTR. I don't have confirmation or source on that. But again, this notion that the Seahawks were going to take a quarterback at the fifth pick is false. I, I am. I have never said something like definitively on this show that I didn't have strong reason to believe is true. I believe that is absolutely true. So people can have their own opinions and that's totally fine. Uh, I think it's pretty important to know that and to, to use that information as we go forward. So wanted to just set the record straight on a few of those things. Any thoughts about any of that or anything surprising to either of you on that? Uh, you must feel pretty good. Uh, how many times this offseason did you say, like, they're not going to use the fifth pick on a quarterback? And, yeah, yeah, that's got to be. And then the Will Anderson thing, a lot, I, I was so high on him, and then the whole league seemed to go away. Well, he's not that good. And D'Amico Ryans and Pete Carroll seemed to think closer to what I thought. So I feel pretty good about that evaluation. Uh, it's it's built, still so curious to me that if, Houston, the thing I'm just struggling with is Houston really screwed over the Seahawks in multiple facets. We were talking about it in our chat the other day. I don't think it was personal. It was not. <laughs> but they screwed us over with the Cardinals before when they traded DeAndre Hopkins to them. We can't, we can't have them screwing us with the Cardinals anymore. Fair. That trade was brutal for us. Like Me and Brian talked about so many times how maybe the best scenario was to come out of the draft with Houston's one. We're like, there's no way they'll trade their one with, with Cleveland's ones in there. And they do it and then take away Will Anderson from us. It was just like a double stabbing. So, <laughs> Well, I, I think that's a great point. By the way, I was not saying all those things to reinforce my points of view. I, I actually come to, I had come to the point of view that they were going to draft Anthony Richardson. I was like, Oh shit, I'm going to lose 500 bucks. And, and, uh, at least it was going to go to charity, but two grand, two grand. I was I, right. I, you were, you were, you were out there pretty far for a while until we told you, okay, bring it back. Um, but in any event, I think the alternate universes here, guys, are pretty interesting, right? If so, so that was the other thing that I'm glad you brought that up. When Houston drafted CJ Stroud, the Seahawks draft room erupted. They were excited. Uh, yeah, when they draft CJ Stroud. Because they were worried that he was, they were going to take Will Anderson. And then the Cardinals, they also, there was concern with the Seahawks. The Seahawks were concerned that the Cardinals were going to take Devin Witherspoon if they stuck. So that was a concern. But when Houston traded in, takes Will Anderson, changes their board. And so if Houston had not traded in, Everything would point to the fact that Will Anderson likely would have fallen to the Seahawks. The Cardinals, by all accounts, were going to draft Paris Johnson wherever they were. If they draft Will Anderson in that pick, and let's assume they draft JSN at the 20th pick, Dana, do you think that they would have still drafted another edge rusher at 37 or what position do you think then? Do you think they go to corner there? Do you think that they maybe draft their center there or a defensive tackle? How do you think that might've changed the way the draft played out? Well, let me say one thing first. So yeah, we found please. out at um, Anthony Richardson's post presser 
that he knew the Colts were going to take him. The Colts had told him they were going to take him. They were going to take him at number four. He had talked to them for a couple of days before. So all the hemming and hawing about all of that is a little annoying because we were so, we weren't sure if he was going to drop or if he wasn't. And he said, oh no, he knew he wasn't going past four. And so then that really knowing that if we had known that was solid, you know what I mean? That then would have played into all of this too. Um, and of course, we all would have been thrilled it had Will Anderson fallen. At, at 37, I can't even tell you because I what I've discovered it, what, over the years of watching the draft, and everyone who watches the show knows that I am not the draft people that you are, but I've learned so much in the last couple of years. But once one domino goes, it shuffles everything down below it, right? And so I swear to God, that's why Seattle took a running back in the second round is because um, Bijan Robinson went in the first round and people thought he might wait till the second, then you could wait till the third anyway. So um, I think that it probably would have changed a bunch of drafts. I'm not trying to ride the fence here. I think it would have changed a bunch of drafts at that point. And so I don't know who would have been left back there at 37. I think then they probably still would have gone with, a defense, a defensive player at that point, but maybe yeah. not, you know, it, it's hard to know. Depends yeah. if you believe John Schneider or not, because <laughs> Schneider says <laughs> that they were debating between Charbonnet and Hall at 37. So if yeah, if Anderson, they might have, unless he's spewing bullshit, which is highly, highly possible. Cause he says that every year. They might have taken Charbonnet at 37. Well, I mean, there is, I'll, I'll, I'll scream out one, I think likely, potential alternative world or universe if you get will anderson at that pick you're not drafting Derek hall i think that's pretty sure you're not drafting no. a defensive end there the same skill set and so what where are there what draft what were the strongest positions of this draft cornerback mm-hmm. who went a few picks after 37 julius brents yeah. mm-hmm. who has been linked to seattle quite a bit so I think that there is an alternative universe where this comes out where you're Will Anderson, JSN, Julius Brents, and maybe it's still Zach Charbonnet. I don't know if the rest of the draft would have necessarily been that much different. But it like let's let's play that game for a second, Jeff, especially because you have strong feelings about Will Anderson. How would you feel about Will Anderson, JSN, and Julius Brents versus Devin Witherspoon, JSN, and Derek Hall? Uh, door one just seems like a better option. And I will Anderson to me and JSN is the dream draft. There's no way I could have predicted. Like I had them at a for day one. That's a plus for day one. And then Julius Brands is a guy me and you really, really liked. He fit like a glove. So that's just a better draft to me. And that's where one pick is a crazy domino effect. Like Dana said, and it totally flips everything. Cause I agree with you. Cause Hall and Will Hall is like Will Anderson light. In terms of just like the character, the skill set, he's not like a super bendy guy around the edge. He's like super long. He's even got a better like 10 yard split, like leader, like team leader. Mm-hmm. So they probably draft, put Hall on their board thing. Okay, if we don't get Anderson, we're going to get like the light version of him. And that's mm-hmm. frankly what he is. Right. And Dana, my recollection is that was your impression of Will Anderson. You're like, this guy is the real deal. Yes. His, with a great thing about their post, um, post-draft presser is they had him and CJ come out together. And I think that was really good. Um, CJ, 
I, there was something with him. He he has a chip on his shoulder now. I, he did not like the crap that was coming out about him um, the week before the draft. He didn't like, he kept, he said something. He's like, I'm not stupid at one point. And it's like, okay. So he really took some of that stuff to heart. And I don't know if they brought Will out there to kind of keep him calm or to maybe get the pressure off of him or what, but they were a great duo. But Will Anderson is a leader of men. And I don't say that lightly. You can just tell by the way he talks to reporters, the way he talks to the, you know, his teammate and he would, you know, say stuff to, to CJ. Um, he honest to God is the player of this draft. I think that they are Houston. They paid that price for a reason and they knew that they needed to get him. He's, he's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I'm so jealous. God damn <laughs> Well, look, hey, we are cheering for Houston to have hit a home run in this draft because if they do, that hurts the Cardinals next year. We do not want the Cardinals getting the number one and number two overall pick <laughs> next year's draft. So we want them stuck in the Texas. 30s. <laughs> uh, there's a couple other things we'll talk about. I know not everybody loves living in alternative universes. They want to stick in the one we're in. I I, I always like exploring what could have been because it's, it's fun, man. I, I don't know. I, I enjoy having those conversations. But Dan, I'm going to come back to you. There were two bits of news today. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think one's yesterday and one's today. But in any event, Puna Ford uh, leaves, signs a free agent deal with the, the Bills, I believe. Mm -hmm. And Al Woods leaves and I think signs with the Jets. Am I right? Yeah. Is the that Jets. right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. Um, what's your take? How do you feel about that? I was, I was pretty sad about Puna. I'm not going to lie. Not that I thought that he was such like a game wrecker, but anything, I just really enjoyed his presence on this team. Um, but I think they could have used him still. Um, Al Woods, we all love Al Woods, but Al Woods is 36 people. I mean, this team is in the process of getting younger. Pete Carroll is setting this team up, um, for in a couple of years, I have to say it out loud when he is no longer the head coach. And so that he's setting them up that way, I think it's good. But, but I think that the reaction of the players to Al Woods was very strong. I think they really, I know that um, there were quite a few players who posted specifically about that, but I'm excited for Puna too, because the bills are a great team and I think they'll use him well. And so I think that that was a good fit, but that does leave a few more holes for Seattle that they're going to have to figure out how in leadership wise and player wise, so they can um, have to figure out how to fill those. But um, was I heartbroken? No. Do I think it's going to change everything? No, I don't think so. Jeff, how about you? Uh, what was your, give me your, your reaction. Was it indifferent? Was it uh, upset? You know, where were you on the reaction when you read, you saw that these two bits of news come out? It was like an aw crap, like yeah. that sucks, but I think the reaction to this is absurd. And <laughs> I think it's completely. And I, I haven't I been on Twitter. Is it bad? I haven't. Oh, been people on are very upset. Oh, people really? who I like a lot that really spend a lot of time on like evaluating film, they love Al Woods and Puna. And the thing I think there's a lack of foresight is how you build a roster. Mm -hmm. And you got to look where Seattle is as a team. And they're, they're a bunch of young players growing together. And if you're building a roster, Moving on from a 36-year-old that wore down a bit with injuries down the stretch and his play dropped off a bit, frankly, that's kind of what you want. I know you can come back and say, well, why did they sign Jaron Reed? I think that's a really good question, and I still haven't found an answer to that yet. But what you want on a team like this is you'd much rather give Cam Young's snaps 
a nose tackle than Al Woods. And that sounds absurd to some, but that's where this team is. I don't think this team's a Super Bowl team yet. I think this team's got two draft classes. They're ascending. They're growing together. I know that's not ideal there, but if you look at like even the 2013 Seahawks, and I was on a podcast with Rob Stanley, brought it up. He's like, look at who the four interior defensive linemen were on those teams. They had four guys, and two of them were like Jordan Hill, Clint McDonald. And the Seahawks have done a really good job of finding guys like Al Woods, who was kind of like a street free agent kind of guy, like bottom of the barrel. If you're building a roster, and a lot of people don't understand personnel, when you're building personnel, you want to get younger almost all the time. And I know Seattle is pretty bare in the defensive tackle group, but I think the reaction Al Woods just shows a lack of understanding of roster building. Because as much as he is a good player, he's at this point, the Jets probably have him as a bit kind of a role player, bit player. And yeah, you'd like to have him back, but I don't sweat at all that they lost those guys. Yeah. I understand. I mean, there's, there's just the natural fan emotional reaction. I think it's kind of what Dane is talking about as well, where like you like Puna Ford. We all like Puna Ford. We yeah. all like Al Woods. I was probably the most indifferent to Puna in the fan base. Like not that I disliked him, but I, I was never a huge believer that he was a difference making defensive tackle that, that I was losing a lot of sleep over losing. But the other part of it is I think a lot of folks are looking at the three, four defensive tackles, nose tackle situation and saying, who is it? And now essentially the only options are Jaron Reed and Cam Young. Those are the only guys because Brian Monet is not going to be around. And so then it brings up questions, which a lot of people are bringing up is, are they changing their scheme a little bit? Are they going to go back to, you know, maybe a four, three under, or, or there's a couple of different ways they could go. We're not going to turn this into a scheme talk. Um, there's plenty of good pods about that, but that is a valid question. And the Seahawks have to some extent backed themselves into a corner by the way that they've approached free agency, the way that they've approached the draft and from a cap position, we know that they would have liked to have one or both of these guys back. They don't have the ability to do that. And those are because of choices that they made. So I think Jeff and Dana, what I don't want, and this is as a Mariner fan, I'm going to make a related to a tweet. I said yesterday, Mariners fans are very upset because during the off season, it was obvious the Mariners weren't a good hitting team. Then they needed to add bats. There are a lot of good options out there for the CX or for the Mariners to sign, especially at the designated hitter position. You don't have to be a good fielder. Just get someone that can hit the ball. And the Mariners went cheap and they just good option after good option after good option got taken and they didn't do it. And there it's kind of a double edged sword because not only did they not sign not only do they not sign people, but there's a choice because there's no salary cap. Like it's basically like, we're just not going to spend enough money to be good there, which is also just really shitty to deal with. And there is this potential that we are going to get into this season. And the Seahawks are going to be bad at run defense again. And then people are going to be running up the middle on them, pushing them around. And we're going to be like, well, who do we have there? Well, we have a guy named Cam Young that we just drafted. We got Jaron Reed. Did we ever think this was going to work? Like, like, so there is that potential that we could get into the season and be like, this was a poorly constructed roster for a very glaring weakness. And the team came out of last year's, the end of last season, they said, we need to get more dynamic up front. Other than Draymond Jones, who in the front seven is really more dynamic than who they had last year? Bobby, 
Yeah. Is he? Yeah, he's more dynamic than Cody Barton. Well, that's fair. <laughs> that's a fair, that's a fair statement, Jeff. Yeah, I yeah. I maybe they think they're really gonna rely on Jones quite a bit. I I if you look at their cap situation, they don't have room to go in and get one of these free agent guys. I mean, they do. They of course the cap is fluid and you can always change it. I just don't feel like they're quite done yet there yet. And maybe no, I'm wrong. Not. They can't no, be not. like, how could they be right? Um, especially with the way that they drafted and maybe, you know, they just weren't impressed with some of those guys in the later rounds or they really only thought there was a handful of them that were any good and they were gone by then. But, you know, I really think that, I think that there's going to be more movement there. There has to be since they have made it so public that this was a focus for them. I think that's right. And we'll see. So I'm not actually declaring that that's what's going to happen. And I think the hopeful note is scheme can make a huge difference. Players being actually in their proper fits can make a huge difference. And there was just some bad. I think there was a lot of scheme changes during the season. They were a little schizophrenic with their scheme. I think they didn't have the right players for it. You didn't have a guy like Bobby Wagner, who is, I don't consider him dynamic, Jeff, and Bobby will kill me for saying that at this point. I don't see him as that dynamic. I do see him as a much better tackler, much better run defender, much better at anticipating where plays are going and reading them. So I I think they have some better options there for sure. It could be, run defense can be improved without adding a bunch of dynamic athletes, I guess is my point. So it is possible the Seahawks run defense will be better it won't be because they got a lot better on the defensive line. I I'm not convinced that they've upgraded their talent on the defensive line. And that's a, even that's a with pretty Jones? big deal. Even with Jones. Cause I, I was pretty excited about that signing. Jones is a clear upgrade. Yeah. Okay. okay. But I'm looking at the whole group. Oh, in general. Fair. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not convinced that it is a, a significant upgrade. So, you know, We'll see how that plays. Um, I want to get to patron questions in a little bit. I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to be very honest. I'm always honest with folks. And generally what people want to hear is they want to hear only positive. They don't like hearing anything that's not. And anything that's not super positive is construed as negative. I don't feel negative. But I am going to say, I think that given some time, my reaction to our draft is lower than most and that means i would i give it like a b wherever the people are giving it a a plus things of that nature and i'll first say i love i love day one i love what they've got there talent wise i've heard i listened to brett billima um the illinois coach uh, i think it was on softy's show talk about devin witherspoon this guy is going to be so much fun to watch i mean i i cannot i think he's such a great fit in a number of different ways i think jsn is an ideal fit for what we need i think he's going to be awesome i think those two are highly likely to be awesome i think every other pick i have questions about every other pick and, and i would say my biggest questions are what's the upside potential of every other pick? Like how good can they be? What's their ceiling? And I go through each of those picks. I have questions. I know a lot of people like Derek Hall and I hope that I learn differently there. I think that what I've seen of Derek Hall, everyone talks about him as a speed to power guy. He is, he is fast. He's a good athlete. He's strong. He seems like an amazing person. All that. Awesome. Generally speaking, I have, 
lower expectations for people whose the way that they get to the quarterback is to run through somebody. It's hard to do that at the NFL level. You've got to be pretty special to be able to do that reliably. A guy that has been able to do that was someone like Frank Clark. Like he, he is a perfect example of a speed to power guy. Doesn't have a ton of pass rush moves. So we'll see how that goes. And then I think that Bruce Irvin is probably a good, a good op. Like I think comparison for what Derek Hall can be. We will see if he's Bruce Irvin, then I think that's useful. I don't think it's hugely, um, I don't think it hugely changes the the window for the Seahawks or the ceiling for the Seahawks. Um, there's a lot. I mean, I like Cam Young. Uh, I think Young's going to be a guy that is a rotational player. I don't think he is a major difference maker any more than I think Jaron Reed was a major difference maker. So I think that I could go through each pick. I won't do that. But my question for you two, and the way I'm, I've been kind of thinking about this the last couple of days is, this draft, this draft is our 2024 Arizona Cardinal draft. We will never have more draft capital than we did this year. We are in our window of building. There's no doubt this team got better as a result of this offseason, this draft. No doubt. I have no doubt. But did we get good enough? Did we get enough out of this draft? that we can go back to having normal drafts next year and we'll be a Super Bowl contender. That's my question. And I I'm I'm curious. Like Jeff, I'll start with you. Think like this doesn't have to be necessarily, oh, I like this pick or I don't like this pick. It can just be, hey, Will Anderson didn't fall to us. If he had, it would have been better. Or, you know, we didn't we we didn't have this guy fall to us, or they we we couldn't make a trade back because no one offered. We heard from Schneider actually acknowledged the trade backs at twenty dried up. They wanted to trade back, they couldn't. Um, so they couldn't get more picks. They couldn't get like things might just not line up the way you want them to. Did the Seahawks get good enough based on this draft for for the amount of capital that they had going into it? I'd say. I'd say yes. I'd say yes. Um, to me, what you're saying is very fair. I, I totally understand where you're coming from. But at the same time, this draft's a little different. There's not a lot of those guys. Fortunately, like the positions where I think the Seahawks really needed to go at to make them where you want to be, Brian, it just wasn't there. Like other than Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle group was very thin. And Really, the board went away from them, I think, a couple times. And they're just something like I really didn't like what they did on day two. I'll be honest. I, I was with you on that. But like a lot of the picks we're talking about in day three, like, sure, we, we Seattle's been really, really lucky where and really fortunate where they've had home runs on day three throughout this tenure. But for the most part, like when you're drafting a defensive lineman on day three, you're just hoping for contributors. And like for years, if you look at like how Baltimore and Pittsburgh draft, what I like about this draft is it just reminds me of those like classic Baltimore and Pittsburgh drafts where like a guy like Mike Morris in the fifth round, like that's someone Baltimore would take. And then you're looking years later, like how the hell do they find this like contributor? Why can we never find these guys? Cam Young, like he's just like an old school kind of guy, like, but he's, these guys don't have the blue chip ceilings. I agree with you that there's a lack of players that you can see becoming all pros. And that's the difference. What makes draft great. So for me, so much of my value and my grade just goes down to day one because Brian, I've taken a lot of, from what you said, what makes a draft great is hitting on 
got all great players. And I don't think they did enough to build in the trenches. I'd say that's my criticism of this draft in general. And I thought that was really the area where we just watched them last year and you want to see them become ass kickers again. And so they had to go a bit of a different way, but they, they, I love what they did in the first round and I love what the potential is on the offensive line. So I really do like what they did overall, but I don't think what you're saying is crazy. And I think a B is a totally like, it's a good grade, uh, but given our capital and given the opportunity cost, I get why you might think B is pretty disappointing given all the different ways it's going to go. So I think it's, I'm, I'm my grades closer to a minus still. I think, I just think what round one dictates so much of my grade. I learned that from you and I'm still think they have the chance to be really good, but they're going to need another draft. They really boost those trenches still. And that's, that's the hard thing to swallow. Dan, I'm already looking at defensive tackle free agents in 2000. No, what did I tell you earlier today? <laughs> Don't do it. You got a lot of cap room next year. Yeah. Um, hey, Greg Gaines, it looks like he's going to be available again. Yeah. I should have signed him. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Dana, how about you? Like, do you understand what I'm getting at? This I is do. Not, mm-hmm. It's not like, hey, was this a shitty draft? It is, you get a window where you're building a team. Mm-hmm. Did they get enough talent? Are we on the trajectory where if this, where if like, let's say only the first round, the first two players, if those two are the only ones that hit and are Pro Bowl level talents, Will that be enough? Are we are we two more pro bowlers plus whatever we get next year away from being, you know, true Super Bowl contenders? Um, I, I, I'm with Jeff in a hesitant yes. I will say that. I think, and that's not just me being the positive poly that I normally am on here. It it really is, I mean, really what is considered a good draft? It, it's if you get what two starters and you know, two contributors. I mean, that's considered a decent draft, but I think I think what you're saying is. Russell Wilson. We, we traded Russell Wilson away. Did we get, and I'm talking Russell Wilson originally when he was still Russell Wilson, not the Russell Wilson now, but did we get enough for what we gave up in, in a franchise quarterback? Um, between the two years, I'm going to say definitely. Yes. I think between the great players that we got from last year and then the probable great players we got from this year. Yes. I think that that was worth it. I do. I think that they're a super bowl contender this year. No, but I think they're closer. Definitely. They, they're going to be able to fight better with, especially the teams within the division. (laughs) I could do a whole show on the Rams. Let me just tell you that. But so I really think that that, that they have gotten better. I, I think that one thing that we need to really focus on too, is what they've really done on the offensive line. You know, they got Anthony Bradford, who people are singing praises about. And then they got Oluolu for a center, which I thought you guys would be like so excited about him for everything I've heard. So um, I think just that alone has been, you know, such a huge upgrade. And I know defense was the issue last year. And God knows I put this in the chat and I got a little flack for it. But the secondary, I had forgotten about love that they had gotten. I mean, that's how good this draft was for that. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Do I think they, you know, are skyward bound this year? You know, no, I think it'll be one more draft. But but I'm real happy with what we got in return for now having used that capital and we have to, like you said, go back to a normal draft, whichever that means. Yeah. Yeah. I I hope you're, you're right. And, and what I think I, what I think has to be true for that to be accurate 
for that to be where things go, that we're, we're mm -hmm. heading in the contender direction, is I think that both Devin Weatherspoon and JSN have to be who we think they're going to be. Baseline. Yeah. And then I think, I think that either Derek Hall or Anthony Bradford or both of them have to be who, like they have to be Pro Bowl level talents, not just starters, not just okay guys. If Olu turns out to be, you know, more than Patrick Lewis, great. I mean, if he, I don't know if he's going to be that guy, but um, that'd be great. But I think that Eric Hall and Anthony Bradford at least have the physical traits that if everything works, they could end up being top shelf players. I don't know that Olu has that same physical profile. So uh, that's that piece. I think let's go ahead and move on to patron questions. I did want to answer one other thing that's come up that I think a lot of people were curious about. And I'll, I'll say this, and Jeff, if you have a different read, I'd love to hear it. Dana, if you know anything different, let me know. John Schneider has said that they traded out of the third round because there was an upset. There were a guy picked ahead of them that they wanted, and so they traded out. There's been a lot of um, speculation about who that would be. The Seahawks were going to pick 83. There are a couple guys. I think a lot of people have been saying it was Byron Young who was taken by the, the Rams. I actually don't think that's the case. Byron Young's physical profile is essentially the exact same as Derek Hall. He's 6'2", 250. Definitely a prospect that a lot of people liked, but it would be very odd for the Seahawks to take two guys, basically the same size, same position within a round of each other. Well, well there's two Byron Youngs. Well, there's, yes. So there's Byron Young, the Rams, and then there's, uh, Byron Young, the defensive tackle. So I wanted to call that. Out. Yes. So yes. You want to say about him? Well, I'm wondering if that's the people, that's the guy that somebody was thinking that in the, the, the upset. It's possible. The folks that I've talked about have been talking about the Tennessee guy. Um, at least that that's what I've read. And he's the, the one that had a lot more coverage. Um, like there's a lot of people who thought he might've been a second, like a second round pick. And so he was slipping. Don't know. I think that it's possible it was the Byron Young that was taken at 70 um, by the Raiders. I also think this is what I'm going to bet. I think it was Zach Harrison out of Ohio State. Why do I think it was Zach Harrison? This is a guy who's kind of interesting. He used to be a premium, uh, like five star recruit coming out of high school. He's 6'6, 274. Who is 6'5, 275 before he gained 20 pounds? Mike Morris. Mike Morris. So, I think there's a real good chance that they thought they're going to get Zach Harrison. Um, he actually, he's very similar to Mike Morris. And when he went at 75 to the Falcons, I think that's why they traded out. So just wanted to share some more sleuthing. Um, Dana. Yes. Would you like to take over with patron questions? Happy to. Thank you. And thanks to everyone who sends us questions. We love it again. Patreon, join it. Um, it's a lot of fun. Okay, so first question is from Derek. Um, it says, "Now that we have officially, uh, let's see, now that now that we officially have the best stable of running backs in the league, a true position group of strength. What does Week One roster look like in the running back positions, and how committed are the Seahawks to Walker as the starter?" Jeff, I'm gonna give that one to you. I think the Seahawks are very committed to Walker as the mm -hmm. starter. I think Walker needs someone. I think in these days you need more than one back. Um, you, you need two. And the way Walker runs, 
he got a lot better at the end of the year, but he was struggling hitting like the basic two, three yard runs and he was hitting home runs or kind of bust for a bit. And even that last game of the year, that Rams game, well, the last regular season game, they were at the goal line, like first and one. And like Walker was getting stuffed. And I think they had three, you know, like three runs in a row where they couldn't get a yard against the Rams. So I think Charbonnet, the things he does well, like I said, back in March, I think he compliments Walker really well. He's better at catching out of the backfield. He's Walker coming out of the draft and knock on him was pass pro. And I don't know if any of you caught this. Schneider was on the uh, Wyman and Bob show yesterday. And he said he had Brees Hall and Walker greatest top 15 players in last year's draft, top 15 players. So, which is not crazy. That wasn't like a crazy draft after like the receivers went. So I highly doubt a guy they graded in the top 15 is not the starter going into the year based on like he should have won rookie of the year. Uh, so I think it's clear Walker's one. Charbonnet will be two. I think his he fits way better as number two back. And then I think probably initially DJ Dallas is three. And then I think uh, evidently McIntosh is four. And hopefully he'll pass DJ Dallas because he's really good catching out of the backfield. So I think that's how it breaks. Yeah. And let's be honest, this is the Seahawks. We go through running backs like water. So it's good to have as many as you can get for sure. All right. This one's from Braxton. And Brian, I'll give this one to you. Who's a player that you were disappointed that Seattle didn't take? Hmm. Well, it wouldn't be a surprise. I, I, I mean, I'll give you a, I'll give you a couple. Okay. I think it's, it's worth calling. People have been talking about the Lions could have had the Eagles draft. The Seahawks could have had the Eagles draft. It, they could have been sitting here with Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith. Um, I was disappointed the Seahawks didn't take either of those guys. I'm not confident that they'll be better, but I was I was certainly excited about those two. And then I would say, you know, John Michael Schmitz and Darnell Washington are two guys that I certainly was excited about. And both of them lasted quite a bit. And the Seahawks had a number of chances to get them and it wasn't the right pick for them. So I hope that doesn't bite us in the ass. <laughs> Me too. All right. We talked about this a little bit already, but this is from Jason. It says, what scheme decisions do our draft decision imply that we will make or lean further into? Jeff, what do you think? Uh, I'll start with offensively. Um, uh, one of the things that Shane Waldron did with the Rams was they played a ton of three receiver sets. And when they came to Seattle, what Pete typically has done, and they've kind of gotten away from this last couple of years, is when new coaches come in, he would really give their first pick of the draft that new coach. And so the first year they came and they won that third receiver, and that's where that DS Rich pick really came back to bite them. But now the fact that they took Smith and Jigba at 20, which I never thought they actually would. I thought that this was, that was a pipe dream. I think that indicates scheme somatically. They're going to go a lot more 11 personnel next year. Last year, they were one of the highest 12 personnel teams, meaning multiple tight ends. I think when you invest that much in a receiver and what you can do now, when you have like Marquise Goodwin and Lacan Treadwell and one snap from D. Eskridge, um, you now have a massive difference on offense. I think they're going to go back to what the Rams did offensively in, they can be really scheme flexible, but the, you, you can use the tight ends to be in power sets. And but I think you'll see way more three receivers defensively. Like they <laughs> still, I still have no indication if it's going to be four, three or three, four. 
Um, we thought maybe if they drafted a nose tackle, that might do something. But one of their like big free agent undrafted signings was one of those giant nose tackles from Florida State that they added on a visit. So I have no clue if it's going to be 4 3 3 4. Um, <laughs> there's reasons. To, there's total, me and Brian were going back and forth in this, and I don't have a clue. So I don't know if anyone feels differently defensively, totally up in the air. And they might be multiple, they might do both. So I don't know if that's the best idea after how bad that went last year. But defensively, I don't think there's inklings of which way they're going right now at all. One thing on that, again, we won't get deep on this. I I don't think this is going to turn out to be true or at least uh, an indication. But Jarek Reed, the safety slash slot corner that they drafted, talked about the the role he played was in a 3-3-5 defense. Um, And it was three safeties on the field all the time. And all three safeties had to be able to play nickel corner or deep safety. And they did that so that you wouldn't be able to diagnose or read who was going to be at what, um, what assignment each play and each in each coverage. Quandre Diggs, former nickel slot corner and deep safety, Julian love nickel corner and deep safety, Jarek Reed nickel corner and deep safety and Kobe Bryant played nickel corner, but a lot of people thought he would be safety in the NFL. Is there a chance? And the Seahawks have talked about getting all the safeties on the field at the same time. Is there a chance that's the type of defense the Seahawks can run out there? That would be interesting. So um, anyway, I've been reading a little bit about that, that scheme and uh, it's not so great for run defense, which might explain why we've had some problems, but I am kind of curious if that's going to be something the Seahawks look at. That sounds like a Pete Carroll thing to do. All right. Troy is on a scale of drafting LJ Collier in the first to trading two firsts for Jamal. How dumb would it be to design the defense around Jamal Adams for a second year in a row? (laughs) (laughs) That is a wonderfully crafted question. Who was that? (laughs) That was Troy. Troy Troy. Fagan. Bravo. Bravo. Um, so the scale was LJ Collier in the first round to Jamal Adams for uh, two first for Jamal Adams. I think it would be closer to the Jamal Adams for two picks level of that scale. It would be very, very silly for the Seahawks to, to be banking on Jamal Adams this year. And I don't think they are. I mean, right. We, we can look at who they've drafted and who they brought in. I think that they know he might not be ready. Although if you watch his Instagram, he sure as hell thinks he's going to be ready, but um, so I, I would, I would assume that, but I still don't love that question. Troy, sorry. I'm just going to have to keep sticking up for Jamal Adams. All right. Okay. This is a long one. So let's follow through here. So PMM 422 says given Olu Olu Watimi won the outland trophy, which I thought was very cool. I was reading about that. That was great for the top, um, offensive or defensive lineman in the nation. How is he not the steal of the draft when taken in the fifth round at pick 154? And then he lists all the people that he beat, which was everyone who took, he took before. So Skronsky, Kansi Carter, um, John Michael Smith, like he beat all of those out for this trophy. So Jeff, to you, is he the steal of this draft? Probably not. Probably not. I I jumped off the couch when they took him. I was so excited. I knew you were happy about it. I was happy. I I was, if they came out of this draft with no center, 
that would have been hard for me to swallow. I don't think I would have been able to get past that for a bit. But I just think Shiram Tokvin, it's a position that gets drafted a little later, unless you get like an elite athlete. And I think one of the reasons they didn't like Schmitz in the end is I don't, I think they, and the guy they liked is probably Joe Tidman. And I think they like Joe Tidman's probably movement skills. And I think Ola Timmy has the potential to be a very steady center in the NFL, but I don't think steal a draft. I think you need to have like a higher ceiling. And what I like about Olu Olu is he's a lot bigger than Blythe was. And he has a similar style of like his smarts and, but like Blythe was just getting tossed around at the end of last year. His size became such a limitation. If you look at a picture of this guy, he's a big, thick guy, but like Tariq Woolen was the steal of the draft. That guy had freak athlete ability. Like, Typically, guys like that, I think he has the potential to be like a plus center in the NFL. And maybe in the end, that does turn out to be a steal. But I typically look for someone with like higher athletic traits and something like that. Like Anthony Bradford is a guy that he could be a crazy steal if that hits. He's 330 pounds and has like the relative athletic score of someone in like the 95th percentile. So if that guy hits, people are going to be wondering, how the hell did we let that guy get to the fourth round? And Olu, I feel is like his ceiling is more of like a steady center than an all pro. Yeah. Can I, I wish I love that. And I want to make a tie back to last year. Cause I think there's a lot like we already have the, the defensive end and the running back in the second round again and all that stuff. There's another tie, which is everyone's like, Oh, let's, let's get another Tariq Woolen. Well, Tariq Woolen had ridiculous athletic scores. Like, off the charts, like DK Metcalf style scores. And he was a later pick and he hit, right? That's Anthony Bradford in this draft. Not exactly, but similar. Who else did they draft later? Kobe Bryant, who was the Thorpe Award winner for best defensive back in the in the NF or in, in, in the NCAA. And he had limited athletic scores. He he's a guy that has a limited top end, but He's made plays. He was effective and turned out to be so far pretty good in the NFL. We don't know how good, but he's been pretty good. I think that could be Olu. So I think that there's some similarities between those four picks. And I think we have to hope that Olu can be like a Kobe Bryant level center, uh, Kobe Bryant level cornerback at the center position. I mean, but wouldn't be, we be okay? Oh, yeah. With just a decent center. <laughs> it's a little hard because yeah. you want you'd like to have you want the rock star but you'd want to have a happy. pro bowler but yes yeah for sure. even good would be good i love this like white 25 year old from minnesota is the rock star those <laughs> <laughs> big old boys but, from, from minnesota all right so mark zuck asked brian you had mentioned before the draft started that it's a draft in two halves if the first pick is a hit does it matter if the rest of it sucks and vice versa? Do you fe still feel that way? And if Witherspoon is all pro, but everyone else ends up being average at best, would you call this draft a success? That's a, it's a good, good, another good, good question. question. We've, we've got yeah. such great patron questions all the time now. Um, if Witherspoon hits and he's an all pro and the rest of the draft sucks, this will not have been a successful draft. And that goes against some of the things I've said in the past, because I generally think if you get one all pro, it's a successful draft. So I'll explain why I'm contradicting myself. Because of the draft capital that the Seahawks had in this draft and how critical it is for their team building arc, 
for this draft to be really big. Like this is this is the moment that they've got to get the bulk of their new talent to make this possible. Um, you can't just come out with one player, like not with that much draft capital. So I, I don't think I could call it a success if they only got one player. If the op- opposite is true, if Devin Witherspoon becomes a solid starter, let's say, but not a pro bowler, and the, there are two, three other guys in the draft that become pro bowlers, like above average starters or very, very good. I think that's actually better for the potential of this team than just having the one all pro, but it's tough. I mean, you could potentially have two all pro cornerbacks hard to feel bad about that. So neither is the worst case scenario. I just don't know all I'm thinking about. All I'm thinking about is, are we on the trajectory to win a championship against Patrick Mahomes and what he's going to be bringing out there or against the 49ers and what they're bringing out there. The bar is super, super high. So that's like, maybe we could clear a, a nine foot pole vault, but are we gonna be able to clear like a 14 foot? Like, I don't even know pole vault, but like higher, higher bar. Are we gonna be able to clear a higher bar? That's what I'm thinking. Awesome. All right. So this one is from Jughead. Thank you, Jughead. Um, and Jeff, I'm going to give you this one. In his second year as DC, I'm demanding, expecting Clint Hurt's defense to show the same level of improvement year over year that Shane Waldron's offense did last season. I need to know how patient should I be? Given that the Seahawks defense has begun the past two seasons historically bad, is that four weeks, six weeks, eight? At what point would you consider a change in DC? What I consider or what Pete consider? fair enough <laughs> um to me we have we can't see the same thing we've seen in the last like five or six years where they take six weeks to figure it out they're the worst defense they set records for being like in that levels of ineptitude it was a secondary one year one year it was a pass rush they had to trade for dunlap last year it was the run defense and then they have a good stretch and then they go back to the same problems that can't happen they've just put in such the infusion of players that if they are the exact same as last year, then the, the Clinton thing just didn't work out. He was just not meant to be above a position coach. And considering where they were last year, where we, we talked about how bad their linebacker play was, and now they add Bobby Wagner back and they add Draymond Jones in the front and Devin Witherspoon at, at corner and Julian Love, like the talent is definitely better than last year. You can still have multiple concerns, whether it's linebacker, whether it's interior defensive line. Um, you, you have to imagine that you get a little better play out of Derek Hall than maybe that Bruce Irvin did, but uh, who knows? That might not happen. But with the talent they have in a year to learn scheme and a year of working together, if they don't take the jump that they took last year, with then this year was a massive failure. And considering what they spent on free agents and how it limited other things that they could do and how much they invested on that side of the ball, there should be an expectation that's better especially with a defensive head coach that hasn't had a good defense in quite a while. So there is a ton of pressure on Clint Hurt. I think it can't have that start that they have every year. And we're going to see the schedule come out next Thursday. So we'll get an idea of who they're playing. Their schedule is a lot harder this year. So there is a ton of pressure. Bobby being back, that leadership, they bring a ton of good players in the room that they didn't have last year. They better get this right because – it hijacked their season last year and there was a rebuilding season realistically, but 
now they're a different point. Brian talked about it. this was the most important draft, arguably a franchise history. They can't spend half the year scuffling again, or else, or else you really got to wonder: is this the direction for this team? And mm-hmm. one okay, thing that gotta, no, go ahead. Go, I was going to ask you a question. But oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I want to know if the Seahawks end up having a top three offense, like one of the best mm-hmm. and a bottom 10 defense. How is Dana O'Gorman feeling? Dana O'Gorman is sad because <laughs> I do love the defense. And I was going to say, here's the thing. Clint Hurt was only here last year. We we can't blame the five years previous or three years previous on him and so I saw this argument on Twitter and I was reading through it and they were fighting over whether or not it was Sean Desai's fault that the defense was so bad. And that's why they got rid of him. Um, he got a promotion, guys. That's that's not what happened here. Pete Carroll's not going to stop anyone from getting a promotion. But it was an interesting conversation that I think people, to Jeff's point, they're desperately trying to find a reason why this isn't working. Why is it still not working? We've changed coordinators. We've done this. We've done that. And I think that you guys have hit it on the head a million times. It was just talent level. And so I would really hope, even if we don't see a huge jump, that there will be an improvement because honest to God, I can't keep defending the defense. It, it gets really hard to do after a while. And so, yeah, I hope they figure it out. I really do. But yeah. all right. So thank you, Jughead. That was a great question. So this one's from Z Ray. Um, where does adding Pashra specialist coach Brandon Jordan rank amongst all our new additions, player or coach, as an impact potential? If he can unlock the next level of our young pass rush, where will a D rank this year? Brian, I'm going to give that one to you. I, it's another really astute question and observation because this guy is a very highly thought of uh, uh, pass rush coach. He's worked with a lot of current Seahawks potential, you know, Seahawks, former Seahawks, other players in the league, well-regarded. I think that the Seahawks at typically like generally have not had great assistant coaches. Uh, at least they have not hired. I, I don't think great assistant coaches. They've done better on offense than they have on defense. I'm curious. I think Carl Scott's been an interesting addition. I'm curious how that's going to play out. I, I think there's some positive signs there. My favorite assistant coach on the Seahawks right now is Andy Dickerson, offensive line coach. I think he's outstanding. I love the guy. And there's a chance this guy could be as impactful as I think Dickerson has started to be. Um, You look at the players that the Seahawks have drafted on the offensive line, even Olu, who were like, hey, well, maybe he doesn't have the best athletic. They know that. They know that they necessarily didn't want to get fifth round center, but that's like where it ended up. And so they, they took a good guy. Every single offensive lineman they've taken pretty much, we've been like nodding along like Abe Lucas, Charles Cross, Anthony Bradford. Like, so I think that if this guy on the pass rush can have an impact and make Derek Hall a better player than he was in college, if he can help Daryl Taylor go from good to amazing, um, yeah, I think that he could be a really, really critical piece to this because. Pete's a secondary coach. When the Seahawks were at their best, they had Dan Quinn as a defensive line coach. They had Pete as a secondary coach. They've never been able to get, even Clint Hurt, who's a defensive lineman, never been able to get back to getting really good quality defensive line play. And so this could be part of that. Love it. Okay. So next question's from Robin. Um, 
So given the loss of Puna and Big Al to other teams, do you have any read on possible trades for a DT or interior D lineman? Um, reading between the lines of some of JAS's, um, Snyder's interviews, I think this is a real possibility. We talked about this just a hint, but Jeff, I want to know who. Who do you think is out there either as a free agent or a trade? I don't see them really doing a trade right now. Maybe somebody wants DS Gridge run for it. But, you know, it's like, but who who is out there? On the trade front, it's impossible to predict. Um, one of the better trades that they made early in this regime was the trading Kelly Jennings for like Clinton McDonald as like a, but free agency, Brady Henderson's been saying basically all they have left is league minimum signups. So, Unless you're getting Shelby Harris back at a league minimum or should be, he's got no buzz as a free agent, which is pretty wild. He, we, we liked him a lot last year, but he's still out there. Um, and Dominican Sue usually comes back, but he usually wants money. He's one of like the savviest money guys. I can't see him playing a league minimum based on how savvy of a guy he is. Akeem Hicks is a guy me and Brian have liked over the years. I would really like that. But again, you're up there in age. You've played so long. Are you really playing for the league minimum? Tough to see. So, you know, they got to be scraping around for trades, try to find the next Clinton McDonald and get him undervalued for someone else. But like, other than like trading Trey Brown away, like they don't have a ton of trade chips and he's made it pretty clear. They want to add to their stack of picks next year, not take away from it. And the cap wise, they just don't have a ton of space. So you're just throwing darts against the wall. If you're guessing here. Yeah, I mean, DeForest Buckner's been brought up as a trade target. I think the massive salary implications there. I, I don't know if that's realistic. I don't think Chase Young's realistic for similar reasons. As far as free agents on the street, I'm going to run through a, a few quick names. Mm -hmm. Not all of them same, play the same position. Not all of them are logical, but they're names people should know. Frank Clark, I don't think is likely from a, oh, yeah. a, a fit perspective. Um, Yannick and Ngakwe also isn't a logical fit because they've already got guys at the end. Jadavion Clowney could be a fit. I don't think from a money perspective, but I think he could fit. He he's definitely could play 3-4. Um, we know that. Uh, Jeff already mentioned Shelby Harris. Matt Ioannidis is actually an interesting name that's out there still. Um, he can play inside a little bit. Michael Brockers. Didn't he sign? No, he's still out there. He got mm -hmm. cut. Oh, no. I was thinking about uh, the other guy that played with Reed and Anyway, yeah. oh, Ashawn Robinson. Ashawn Robinson, yeah. So Brockers is another name. Akeem Hicks, you mentioned. Um, then I, I don't think Carlos Dunlap's coming back. Uh, you mentioned a Dominican Linval Josephs, another name. Jason Pierre Paul. I don't think Jace JPP fits here. Uh, let's see. I think those are really that's where it ends. Like that's it. I'm going to make this statement, and you guys are going to disagree with me, but. The, the cap is the least of anyone's worries, right? And they, they can say it is till they're blue in the face, but we all know that the cap can be completely manipulated. And we all have said a million times, they redo Jamal Adams' contract, they open up huge spaces. And does that mean that he would do that? I don't know, especially with his injury history, but I do think that it's, it's possible. But I don't think it's going to change enough to bring in some big number player. It'll have to be one of the... the um, Guys, it'll take a less a less number, so a lower number. All right, the next one, Max. Um, do we think the ads of JSN and Charbonnet will meaningfully make us better a better third down team, third down success rate and time of possession implications, etc.? And does that help offset the defensive concerns indirectly? Says said otherwise is the best defense an elite third down offense. 
That's a really good one. God, these questions are so good tonight. You guys did such a good job. Um, Jeff, why don't you answer that one? It better increase their third down defense. The reason, I mean, the third down offense to start it. Uh, they, over the years, have just, I've been clamoring for this kind of receiver that just wins out of the slot. And since ever since Doug left, they just haven't had that guy. And like, I remember with Russell, like, I thought like they needed a guy like Julian Edelman so bad to just like win quickly, get open. Russell always took the deep shots and he may not have worked with a guy like that. But the way Gino plays, putting a guy that like, JSN's whole thing is that he's a weapon out of the slot at route running guru. He's the third down guy. And we know how good D and what it does is it opens up DK and Lockett too, but DK and Lockett wins so differently than he does. He's more of the Cooper cup and how Cooper cups been a third down monster for the Rams. And yeah, one of the best things we're seeing in trends is you're seeing teams that have really high DVOA and offense are the teams you see technically competing for Super Bowls. So it will help a little bit, but at the end of the day, like if you got to play the Niners and the Eagles, you can't have no defense. It's good as your offense is. You need some sort of pass rush. You need something like the way the Colts used to win with Peyton Manning is they wouldn't invest anything in their defense other than pass rush. And they would try to get the lead and have the pass rush and try to make a couple of turnovers. But the way Seattle and who they have to play against, which in this conference is Philly and San Francisco unless you have like the Patrick Mahomes offense, I can't imagine. And the Seahawks are set up. Like it's weird to say for a Pete Carroll team, but this is the most dynamic offense they've ever had in terms of just their skill for running back receiver. And they had that dominant offensive line in 2015 in 2005, but they've never had skill positions like this before. It's weird to say because it doesn't make any sense. No, <laughs> just, I still have, can't wrap my brain around that. Ever all. come close to having the best receiver room in the NFL? No, no way. Oh Even the year they won okay. the Super Bowl, they were being called like the they were being pedestrian. Started. Yeah. Poor Jermaine Curse. Here's the thing. I did you guys see the video when DK met JSN and Witherspoon? My son sent it to me. You know, they put it out there and he goes, that was DK reminding them that he is the king and the rest <laughs> of them are just there for him. I loved it. It was great. Okay. So another question from Mark, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, Max, sorry, Max says to follow up per the football, um, football database, we had the 20th ranked third down conversion rate in the league last year is what he was just adding in. So I think so, Brian, do you have anything else to add about that third down? Cause I think that you're right. That would alleviate a lot of the defensive problems. No, I, I think mm -hmm. Jeff hit it. I'll just yeah. say that Zach Charb Charbonnet and mm -hmm. and K9 together, hopefully with maybe better interior line play as well. They, this, where the Seahawks really struggled is like third and medium to third and short. Actually, the Seahawks were remarkable on third and long. Gino is like kind of crazy mm -hmm. good, way better than league average. But you put Gino with someone like JSN and the choice routes, they're going to be able to run the timing. They're going to be able to get the way they're going to be able to interchange Tyler Lockett. I think this could be like 2015 Russell Wilson when mm. Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett were doing a lot of games on the outside. And for that stretch, nobody could stop the Seahawks on third down. I think this might be like that. And it could be not just, eight games of that we were like wow why can't russell be like that anymore <laughs> i think this could be a full season of that and 
if they've got that going and they're deal- then dealing with like second and ones because JSN is getting, you know, eight yards on first down or, or whatever, then the running games becomes that much. And if you have Kenneth Walker actually able to be not the expected battering ram, his explosive plays could, I mean, it could be a dynamic offense. I mean, could be, I think I would go far as to it should be a really dynamic offense. It makes no sense. <laughs> We're going to have to just become offensive fans, Dana. Oh, damn love, it. Love what you have. <laughs> love what you got. It's so true. That's all of our um, Patreon questions. Amazing. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So uh, good. Well, I know we're past time. What else? Did we miss anything, Dana, Jeff? Anything that has been on your mind that you wanted to make sure was... I, I went on my couple of monologues today. Anything else that's been on your minds? Dana, I'll start with you since you've been asking all these questions. Yeah. No, I I don't think so. I, I The funny thing is I, I think about last year where we were at with the draft and you know we didn't know Tariq Woolen was going to be Tariq Woolen and we didn't realize we knew that the offensive line guys, you know, cross and Abe, we knew they were going to be good, but we didn't know how impactful that would be. And I think what was looming of, over us was the quarterback situation, right? Like that. So it just kind of took the wind out of the sails of the draft a bit, just because it was so much uncertainty there. So what's interesting me in this one is even though not everyone loves every pick and where they were taken, there's a different level of optimism, which I really enjoy, of course, obviously. But I think it's also when you're settled in certain positions and bringing Bobby back does settle that to a certain extent, even though he's older, Bobby, he's still, you know, such a force there. I think it allows you to be more optimistic about some of the other choices that they're making. One thing I did want to ask you guys about, because I do not know this, but I've seen um, Charbonneau. I was really hoping Nathan was going to be here and make him answer this question, but that's okay. Um, I've heard him compared to Marshawn, the way that he runs. And do you think that that's why Seattle was so interested in in him? Other than he was the best back in the I haven't heard schneider and carol talk about him in that as a comparison i i did see that comparison Mm -hmm. so i know what you're talking about and i think that that comes from the fact his running style is a little bit choppy um Mm -hmm. that way and marshawn kind of had the odd bow-legged style to him um i don't i personally don't see that as much i think he's a little bit more of a smooth gliding runner and he, he is but he is powerful so I think that they liked him because one of the things John Schneider talked about is he's actually close with Chip Kelly, which I didn't realize. And uh, he talked about, I mean, they got another UCLA player, um, Bobo. Yeah. Right? Bobo. Yeah. Wide receiver, six, five dude. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Schneider just got a good report there mm-hmm. and I think that they liked what they saw. I don't know. I mean, Jeff and I talked about it a long time ago. He is just the perfect yin to the yang for K9. Stronger, more physical, uh, can just play the position differently. And I think he'll just, he could be a featured back. He could be a starter if you needed him to be. A lot of these other guys, like Jameer Gibbs, who went really early in the first round of the Lions, he's a home run hitter. He's not a guy that you can play 20, you know, 20 carries a game. Um, So there was only a few of those guys at the top of this draft and Charbonnet was one of them. So I think that's why they liked him. Cool. Jeff. Jeff. Yeah. yeah. If 
Final thoughts? Yeah, final thoughts, man. Uh, it's been a really, really fun process. Um, I'm just really encouraged. There's so many things I'm excited to watch this year. It's just cool that me and Brian were going through this the other day. Like, how many position groups they've now put into one of the best in the league potential. And it's just cool. You take a step back. And if you look at where this team was coming out of 2021 before the Russell trade, their roster looked super bleak. And I was pretty bummed about their future. And if you look, their tackles were at that time, like Dwayne Brown and Brandon Shell going to free agency. They had no like edge rushers long-term. Their cornerbacks were DJ Reed and, I can't remember who the other corner was in 2020. Um, Michael Jackson played a bit at the end with Brian Cotton and I, but it was like Trey Flowers for a bit, and they were just bleak. And all those years of bad drafting, so the fact that they've turned this around, and Lewis Riddick was just talking about this today, what they're set up, it's pretty exciting times. Obviously, I'd like to be a little better in the trenches, but the fact that they've done this over that two-year haul and where they were, like, they built that whole team around Russell and they brought in all those old guys to try to fill and the Jamal Adams trade is still lingering. Unfortunately, that's eats up a lot of their cap room. Imagine two more years of first round picks on this team right now. They'd be pretty scary. They might have Jordan Davis on this team last year too. Um, but th- there's just so much to be excited about with all these position groups where they have four or five that look like the best rooms in the NFL. Even running back is pretty bleak coming out of 2021 with, Penny had that little stretch at the end, but they had nothing really behind him. Chris Carson retired. And it's pretty exciting to watch them. So I'm, I'm excited that they built on strengths and something that we've hammered them for years where they've always tried to fill weaknesses. It seems like they've kind of turned a corner with their draft strategy. I will commend them for that. I, the second round has kind of broke me in both the last two years. <laughs> and it was funny. In the morning of day three, I text Brian. I'm like, okay, maybe it's just deja vu and day three will be really good this year. And I was pretty happy with day three. So it's been fun. The draft's in Detroit next year. It's like the close, one of the closer ones to me. Like, should I go? It just seems like a TV event. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's a lot of fun there. I mean, unfortunately, I didn't make it over to the fan section, but my whole family did and everyone that came to visit did. And they said it was awesome. So the lines for food are long. That's about the only complaint. Detroit's a rough destination. If yeah, I know. Like, it's not, Kansas well, City was a lot I'm more so appealing. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think I'm gonna go. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's been really fun to go through this whole thing. And like, I, I don't think I've ever gone through like the fourth or fifth round where I'm like, me and Brian are just like, okay, we know that guy, we know that guy. So it's been it's been a good time. And it's like I do feel it's like weird emptiness. It's like I don't know what to do with my time now. But my brain is like been so focused on this draft. So. The season can't come sooner enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we do have rookie mini camp coming up here in, in a weekend or so. That'll be good to hear initial reports out. And I want to express gratitude again. I mean, I was complimenting, but honestly, it has been so much fun. The The pre-draft prep. I've had more fun this year than I've had in many, many years in covering Seahawks draft stuff. We got super deep, super crazy obsessed. And it's fun. It's fun to let yourself get like wrapped up in it. And we do this because we enjoy it. Um, hopefully that shows. So, so that was a lot of fun. Very grateful for the crew on the real Hawk talk side. And, and also I'll call out Trey who's been posting our pods uh, that are happening all the time and lots of times and uh, appreciate all the work he does. Uh, I'll close on this. So since I know that people are gonna say, Brian doesn't like this draft, that's probably where people will come out of this. And I uh, say like, 
that's categorically not true. My question is how good will the Seahawks be as a result? What I will say with confidence is the Seahawks are significantly better than they were last year. The Seahawks have absolutely positively closed the gap with the 49ers. They closed the gap with the 49ers. And people can throw it out as the 49ers blew them out in the playoffs last year. That game was a one-score difference after three quarters, and the Seahawks were leading at halftime when they had significant, massive disadvantages from a roster standpoint. So don't tell me that it's impossible that the Seahawks could steal a win next year in Seattle or if they can run on them more effectively. I think that they absolutely close the gap. And I will say this, set the draft aside for a second. There are players that we talked about from last year that we're not talking about now that have a massive potential to change the trajectory of this team, even more than some of these draft picks. Charles Cross is a guy that we barely talked about last year. He's the ninth overall pick. We didn't talk about him during training camp. He almost didn't get mentioned. And he had a decent season. I don't think he had a great season. There were times Nick Bosa abused that kid. There were there was times that he pushed Nick Bosa's face into the ground. If he can take a massive step forward, his ability to affect the Seahawks' chances is huge. If he can reliably block Nick Bosa, not an easy thing, but he's a ninth overall pick and he's going into his second year, huge. If Abe Lucas can take a jump, huge. So I think Boye Mafe is another guy who we don't know. There's a lot of folks that are pretty excited about his potential. We also know nothing about Tyreek Smith from the draft last year. We know nothing. He took, he was on IR the whole year. So this is a guy that they drafted that also is a defensive end. So there are guys from last year. And then the last place are things we have talked more about. We're assuming Jamal Adams and Jordan Brooks are not going to be factors this year. Like they, we're not even assuming that they're going to play. If either or both of those guys not only play, but play well, it's a massive, massive impact to the ceiling of this team. So there's a lot of reasons why this team could be two or three wins better from a quality standpoint. Now their schedule could be two or three wins harder. So we'll see where that all washes out. But there is a reason to feel really positive as a Seahawks fan. There's a reason to actually trust all the positivity coming from everywhere around. People saying that the Seahawks knocked this draft out. The Seahawks crushing it. Lewis Riddick, as Jeff was sharing, tweeted out again that the Seahawks crushed it for another year in a row. That's all true, and we should celebrate that. And we need more. And we need more. So I'm always going to be looking for how can we get more? How can we maximize? So I'm excited. I'm excited to keep talking about it with all of you. We will see. I think the next thing that's going to happen is the Seahawks will sign some defensive linemen. We'll see how that goes. We're going to see how this rookie minicamp goes where they bring in their undrafted free agents too. They're going to be looking at that. That will be a determination for them about how hard they need to go into the veteran free agent pool. And then we'll go from there. So really, really appreciate Dana Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter and Jeff Simmons at real Jeff Simmons on Twitter for coming on doing another long podcast because we are obsessed and we appreciate all of you for coming in and joining the show. Give the show a like click subscribe. We're growing. We're building the community. Go to patreon.com slash Hawk blogger. Join right now. Get immediate access to the Slack channel and talk with all the other fans. If you can also, please give us a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple uh, Podcasts, any of the places where you get your podcast. That helps build the community as well. So thanks to everybody. 
Take care and go on.